Good morning to you. I'm sorry. Good morning. Thank you very much. Uh, open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 34. How many brought a Bible? Let's see him. Hold them up. Hold them up. We love the scriptures. Lord, as we open the word, we trust your Holy Spirit to teach us today. Change us, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Uh, we're in 40 days of prayer. We do this at the beginning of every year. There is a prayer uh, guide that we trust you're using with your families. Also, there is the Lord's table here at the front. If any time during the services you want to take the Lord's table, you're welcome to do that if you're walking close with him. Also, we have these prayer walls on my right and left. It's where we put the names of people that need our Savior, that need a touch, that need his help. So anytime, put a name of someone that you love up there as an act of prayer. Now, uh, we're studying today what God is like. Would you repeat that with me, please? What? What God is like. And if someone was to ask you, can you tell me in a few words, a few sentences, what God is like? That's not easy to do. Could you find a place in the scriptures to turn them to and say, let me walk you through this? That's what we're going to do today. Exodus 34, and I'm reading out of New American Standard this morning. Are you ready? Everyone ready? Now the Lord said to Moses, cut out for yourself two stone tablets like the former ones. And I'll write on the tablets the words that were on the former tablets, which you broke, you shattered. So be ready by morning. Come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No man, everyone say no man, is to come up with you. Nor let any man be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and the herds may not graze in front of the mountain. Verse 4, see, he cut out two stone tablets like the former ones. Could you imagine the work to do that? And Moses rose early in the morning. He went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and he took those two stone tablets in his hand. Verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God. Now look at these eight traits that we're going to highlight. Compassionate, some versions say merciful, and gracious, slow to anger. Abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives three things. What are the three things? Iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet, so all that's good news. Tough news is next. Who by no means will he allow the guilty to be unpunished, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth 
generation. Now, flip to the left to chapter 32. I want to give you the background to this. If you don't know the background, you may not understand it. So Moses has spent 40 days and nights on top of Mount Sinai. And verse number one says he has delayed. Everyone say the word delay. He is delayed coming down. Does that mean uh, he was just wasting time? Uh, he wasn't paying attention? No. On God's part, it was not a delay. On Moses' part, it was not a delay. But the people did not know what was going on. How many people? Could be 3 million up to 4 million people. They didn't know where he had gone. They didn't know what had happened to him. There was all kind of questions. They were stuck in the middle of the desert. And here's their leader. He is nowhere to be found. And so in his absence, everyone say absence. They did what people do. They got wild and rowdy. Really wild. And they started back worshiping idols that had been prevalent in Egypt while the people were there 400 years. Now, here's a leadership principle. Okay, are you ready? A lot of things to learn today. Bad things often happen when a strong leader is absent. You see it in denominations, you see it in churches, you see it in the mayor's office, you see it in Washington, you see it in Frankfurt, you see it in the head of corporations, you see it in homes. It is just a principle. Why the principle? Because people are like water. How so? Human nature, just like water, seeks the lowest place. You don't have to train people to be sinful. They just, we just are. If you have a hose break on your washing machine, water is going to go to the lowest place and you have floors that are ruined. Now, a leader or a husband or a wife or a pastor can be present, but he's still absent because he's not engaged. He's not paying attention. And so the guy that Moses left in charge is his older brother, Aaron. Everyone say Aaron. And not only did he cave into pressure, well, how much pressure? You got three million people who are not happy. Where's Moses? It's hot. We don't have a lot of food. We were promised to promise land. And when are we going to get there? Does this mean all this is a mirage? This is a fake and so they put pressure, and all the pressure went to this one man, Aaron. And not only did he cave, he facilitated the idolatry. Well, how did he do that? Well, we'll, we'll see that. Now, again, here's what's so bad about Aaron's fall. One, he is a high priest, a very high priest. He is a mediator between the people and God. He's a representative. He's the one that's supposed to love God more than anybody else, and he's the one leading them into idolatry. In the New Testament, you are a high priest, all of us. People look to you. Are you absent? 
Are you attentive? Do you, are you obeying God or have you checked out? So not only was he the high priest, he's the older brother of Moses. Remember, he's the one that Moses says, oh, I, I can't go to Egypt unless my big brother's here because my big brother always makes the right call. Well, in this case, he should have left his big brother at McDonald's or someplace. So when Moses comes down off the mountain with his uh, understudy Joshua, Joshua says, man, there's war going on in the camp. So they come down off the mountain and Moses sees all this carnality and worship and dancing and singing to idols. And Moses says, well, can you tell me? Can you tell me what happened? Can you tell me? So immediately Aaron, instead of giving an accurate report, he passed the buck. He took no responsibility. He said, well, you know how wicked these people are, right? It's all their fault. And they came to me and they said, make a God for us that we can see. Not like this one we can't see. And then I said to them, because I thought it was the best option. Take all your gold earrings off from Egypt and your bracelets and your rings and bring them to me. And here's what happened. It was amazing. It was wicked, but it was a, it was a dark miracle. So I threw all the gold in the fire and poof, out came this golden calf. That sounds like a six-year-old girl had a new dress going to Easter church. And she said, well, mama, that mud puddle jumped out and got all over my new dress. Moses saw the people were out of control, and Aaron let them. Here's a key question. Do you have people around you that are holding you back from walking with Jesus? Do you have people pulling you down? You need to get some new people. Because they will hurt you. I want to say dads. I want to say moms. I want to say managers at companies. I want to say to all of us in leadership of some sort. Don't be absent. Don't be unengaged. Don't be unattentive. Don't be unaware. And please do not be passive. There's nothing good about being passive. It means because of fear, you will not act. Don't let crazy happen on your watch. Nope, not going to happen here. The neighbors, if they want to do that, they can do that. But that's not happening in this house. No way. So just forget that. Don't let irresponsibility happen. No way. That's not happening. And some of us, some of you, need to frankly step up and step into the gap and be the adult, be the responsible one. Now, please don't be like a bull in a china shop going home, giving orders, telling people what you're going to do. It takes a lot of wisdom. But please don't check out. And the only thing 
that spared the nation of Israel from complete destruction because a holy God was very angry. He said, these people, my people, have broken my heart ten times. They have so disrespected me. And they are worshiping a created thing. And they have turned their back on me, the one that made them and loved them. Give me a break. And there's only one thing that kept them from being destroyed. And that was the intercession of the man, Moses. And in these chapters, you will see two great lengthy accounts of Moses interceding. Now, he called, the Lord told him to call the Levites and go, everybody, these leaders have to decide, are they going to walk with me? Are they going to give give themselves to idolatry? And 3,000 leaders died. Okay, that's chapter 32. Now turn over to chapter 33. If you've got it open on your lap, let me point some things out to you. Good news, bad news. Good news, verse 1 and 2. The Lord says to Moses, you tell my people to leave this place. Go ahead to the promised land. I will send a mighty angel to dispatch and run away all the pagan nations who are squatting on my property and they can go into my promised land. That's the good news. But verse 3 is really bad news. It is horrible news. It is the worst news I could hear. The people can go, but I am not going with them. Forget it. I'm done. I'm washing my hands. I will not be mistreated this way anymore by my people. And I'm I'm just not going in. And then the father in the next verses 4 and 5 made it clear why he was not going in. Do you have a clue why? He said... You people are stiff-necked. Everyone say stiff-necked. See the donkey, the burrow being pulled. Another word in maybe your Bible is obstinate. Everyone say obstinate. That just means stubborn. Have you been stubborn? If people around you said, I can't talk to you, you won't listen. My wife said that for about two decades. We cannot talk about hard things because you get defensive and you flip it back on me. It took me two decades to figure out this was my best ally and intercessor and whatever she said, she should be safe to say it. And I need to implement it. By the way, my sweetheart is right. I hope she's not in the room because this will give her the big head. She's right on about 97% of everything. She just is. She's just right because the Lord speaks to my wife first. And here's the reason why. Since they're obstinate, won't take adjustment, won't take 
instruction, please, ladies who are single, don't marry a man like that. And gentlemen, don't raise your children to be that way either. He said, because you will not listen, what will happen sooner or later on the way to the promised land, I will get fed up because you're going to do this same stunt to me. And I will not be treated disrespectfully and unholy in your eyes. I'm not going to do it. And before I let you do it, if I'm in your midst, I will consume the whole nation. I don't think they realized how much danger they were in. Because I don't do disrespect. God today is the same way. He does not appreciate disrespect. Now, so the story continues. Moses pitched a tent outside of the camp so he could meet alone with God because he was fed up with the people too. He put a tent, I don't know if it's 500 yards, I don't know if it's five miles away, outside because the only way he could lead God's people was to be in God's presence and have time with him. Now, I want to share with you, this is not the tabernacle. The tabernacle came along much later. This is an artist's rendering of the tabernacle that Moses built much later. The tabernacle represented the ministry of the Lord Jesus. Every single article in the tabernacle represented the ministry of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Later on, they built a temple in Jerusalem. So about 300 years they used this, but this was a simple tent of meeting. Here's another point your pastor wants to say over and over. You guys are more consistent in prayer and scripture than any church I know. But you and I need a consistent place to meet alone with the Lord God Almighty. If you're 30 and you've never learned to do this, if you're 40 and you've never learned to do this, if you're 60 and you've never learned to do this, you've wasted a lot of your life. This is where I meet with the Lord in the morning. It's a raggedy old chair. It sits in my office at home. I get my coffee. I get my Bible. My Bible is right beside on one of those end tables. I have pens because I mark my Bible up. I have note cards. That's where I spend time in the scriptures. Then I get in my car and I go on a prayer drive. That's how I hang out with God. But you need a place. And you must have that place if you want God to help you over your lifetime. So the scripture says that whenever the Lord would, whenever Moses would enter the tent, the presence of the Lord would show up in the form of the Shekinah glory, the presence of the Holy Spirit in this cloud would come first to the entrance of the tent. And the scripture goes on to say, God would speak to Moses. 
Now, God will speak to you every day of your life if you're listening. Most Christians have never learned to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. He promised to teach you, to guide you, to instruct you, to lead you. But if you're not listening, he can't do any of that. So he spoke to Moses. And here's a beautiful thing. If you've never seen it in the scripture, he would speak to Moses face to face. Everyone say face to face as a friend would speak to his other friend. That's amazing to me. That is an awesome relationship. That is the ultimate compliment for the Holy One who made heaven and earth to look from heaven and go, that is my friend right there. Now this, I just want to touch on something. So he spoke face to face. Later on, he says he had to protect Moses from looking at his face because no man could see his face and live. Have you read that before? Well, that seems like... uh, That seems like it doesn't fit. Well, my guess is in the tent, Moses was protected from seeing his face. He knew the presence was there. He could hear the voice of the Lord. What do you mean, Steve? No man could see his face and live. Well, for instance, how long can you stare at the sun? And the brilliance of the creator is far greater than a hundred suns. And in the human form, you cannot look upon his face. In the next life, you'll be able to. And the Holy One is still looking for friendship. He's looking for people to hang out with. He's looking for people that will spend time with him. You say, does does that mean God the Father has an emotional need? He needs a friend Oh, no, he needs nothing. He just wants you. He enjoys a friendship with a 12-year-old, with a 72-year-old. Anybody that will take the time to build a friendship with him. And he will do things for you. He will not do for anybody else in this whole city. All because he looks from heaven and he says to Michael or Gabriel, you see that woman right there? You see that man? That is my friend. It's a great adventure of life. There's nothing greater. This is the greatest thing about serving God. I would love for the father to look down upon us like he did Abraham and say, Abraham, that's my friend. How many would like for God to say that about you? Hold your hand up. We'll give him the time. Build a friendship with him. So Moses, a friend of God. He intercedes for the people of Israel. And we as a church, we are, yes, an evangelistic church. We love missions. We love Bible teaching. We love children. We love a thousand things. But first of all, we are a house of prayer. First of all, we are a movement of intercessors, of praying people. 
And none of us realize because this church is helping mobilize the rest of the city. I mean, it's just a small part. But we want to do our part to help cover this city in 24 hours of prayer, 31 days of the month. Right now we have 22 churches that have joined us praying for 24 hours, one day a month. And let me tell you, we're going to have an awakening in Kentucky. It's going to happen. Now here's some lessons. Someone say amen, please. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, so I want you to watch this. There's some wonderful lessons on how to intercede in a difficult circumstance. So so look with me, chapter 33, starting at verse 12. Do you have it on your lap? Verse 12. Look at the principles. Look how Moses humbly appeals to the Almighty God. First off, in verse 12, he says, You're the one that initiated this. You're the one that approached me and said, bring my people up. This wasn't on my screen. This wasn't on my list, but you approached me to do this. Next, you told me that you knew my name. And you told me that I had favor in your sight. You want God's favor on your life. And by the way, I think it's awesome when you quote what God said back to him. You promised, Lord, you'd bless my family. You promised, Lord, you would use us. You promised, Lord, you would fill us. You promised, Lord, you would shape us. So he says, okay, Lord, if I have really found favor with you, then I'm going to ask this. I want to know your ways. I want to know what you like. I want to know that what ticks you off. I want to know how to please you. I want to know how you think about things. And I would suggest I pray this prayer a lot for myself, including this morning. Lord, I want to know your ways. If I don't know your ways, I won't serve you very well. Let me, let me know your ways, Lord. Let's just say that together, please. Lord, let me... One more time. Lord, let me... One more time, Lord, let me know your ways. It touches him deeply because not many people will ask that. Then Moses went on and said, well, Lord, you've been giving me these people, but actually I want to give them back to you. These are actually your people, and they've been messing with me all this time, and there comes a time you may have to give your children back to the Lord. There may be a time you have to give your husband back to the Lord, and not literally, I mean... But you say, Lord, I'm going to place him in your hands. I'm going to place this nation in your hands, Lord. Then he said, now, Lord, you promised. 
You said, you said your, you just told me you weren't going to go. But you told me you would go. And you promised me you would go. And then you promised me you would give me rest. And so far, this has been very, very hard. This has been difficult. Dealing with these obstinate, selfish, headstrong, idolatrous people. It is wearing me down. But you promised that your yoke was easy and your burden was light. I'm going to stick my head in your yoke because you promised we'd have rest. Not just me, but all of us. And you know what? I've tried to figure out what does it mean for the Lord to give rest? It means he was going to give them a place. He would bring them to a place of stability, not this up and down and back and forth and walk with God and not walk with God. And you were going to bring us protection. And Lord, I'm reminding you, Lord, I'm reminding you, Lord, I'm reminding you, you promised to give us rest. This is, there's a bunch of places they say could be Mount Sinai. This is probably the most likely Mount Sinai in the peninsula. It's under Egyptian control. Uh, in the foreground is St. Catherine's Monastery. It's been there forever and ever and ever. I've never seen it. It's on my bucket list. I would like to go there one day. But, okay, pay attention. So, Lord, verse 15, please. Everyone say please. Please, Lord. Please, Lord. Please, Lord. If your presence does not go. Please leave us at the base of this mountain. Have you ever been praying and disturbed and pressure and all of a sudden in your prayer that seemed like there was a release? It seemed like something opened. It's almost like the Lord said, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to step in. I'm stepping in. So here's Moses' main point. This is key. This may be the most important thing in the study in this chapter. Lord, if you don't go with us, if you don't go with us, how are we going to be different from everybody else? How are we going to be different from the seven nations we're supposed to dispossess who don't know you? We won't be any different if you don't go. Father, without you, Father, we're no different. Our family is no different than every other family on the street if you're not the center. My marriage won't be any different. Our church won't be any different if you don't show up. This Bible study I'm trying to do to help people, it won't go anywhere because you don't come. If you don't come, we're wasting our time. There's no hope for us, Lord. There's no strength. Have you ever got to the place and go, Lord, I just don't have strength to do this anymore. And Lord, there's no reason for us to keep going. Because there is no promised land without you. 
I don't know if there wasn't a tear that ran down the father's heart because Moses was on his face in the gravel with tears running down his beard and cheeks. And he said, you know what? We've proven we can't do anything without you. And Lord, I'm looking down there, 7,500 feet in the valley, 3 million people. These kids have no hope. They will fall prey to the pagan nations. These young couples have no hope. The elderly people, the widows, they have no hope if you don't go with us. And then he asked something even bigger. He said, Lord, show me your glory. Say that, please. Show me your glory. I was raised in church by good people. We were not spiritual people. We were not born again people. We did not read the Bible. We didn't pray because no one ever taught us. We were just read, we were raised in a dead, lukewarm church. And as I was a 17 year old, I knew there was more. I was living a a dark life and still going to church. And one night in the apple orchard my grandfather planted about 1900 in this small town, in this farm in South Carolina, I'm out because I can't sleep. And I was messed up and I was looking, I was searching, and I prayed the only prayer I can remember praying. Do you guys remember your first prayer? And I just said, Lord... I'm only asking one thing. Reveal yourself. If you step out of heaven and reveal yourself to me, you got my life. I'll go anywhere. I'll be anything. I'll help anybody. I'll do what you want if you just reveal yourself. And 90 days later, my life was completely changed. Because he did. You say, well, if Moses said, show me your glory, what is God's glory? Because I don't want to use terms and not define them. In a simple, simple form, God's glory is his nature. Everyone say his nature. It's his character. It's who he is. So sometime later, he... He and maybe with the help of some young men carved out two more tablets. He put those heavy things under his arm. And he started up that difficult slope to the top of Mount Sinai. Because he was invited to Mount Sinai once more for 40 days and 40 nights. Turn over to chapter 34. Would you please? Chapter 34. Second go round on top of Mount Sinai. God, I don't know if he picks him up like a Barbie doll or he or Moses just goes, but he goes over to a cleft or a crevice in the mountain face. 
Because the Father knows he has to protect him. His holiness, his majesty, his splendor would destroy a mortal if he gazed into his face. And the Father passed in front of him. And I don't know how it happened. I'm going to guess if the father started walking and Moses was in a crevice right here, it kind of insinuates that the father took his hand, his 50-foot-tall hand, and covered the tiny man in the crack and walked past him. Then he said, Moses, you will not see my face, but I will allow you to see my back. And as he walks in front of him, you are fortunate enough to hear what the father said to the mortal. And it was recorded for your benefit. So you could think about it this week. You could go to sleep thinking about these eight traits And maybe think about one tonight. What are they? The Lord, say it with me please. The Lord, the Lord God. Say it please. The Lord, the Lord God. One more time louder. The Lord, the Lord God. Could you imagine his heart racing? When the eternal one said that. And the first trait, he's merciful. Now, these are not easy to define. Your version may say compassionate, but mercy is when you have the opportunity to lower the boom on someone less than you, you choose not to. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. And he said, Moses, Write this. I want my people to know what I'm like. I choose to give mercy. I just want to ask you, has the Lord been merciful to you? Hold your hand up. Oh, my. He has been so merciful, and I have not deserved his mercy. And yet he turns around with his example, saying, Steve, I want you to be merciful every day. The second characteristic is gracious. Everyone say gracious. What does it mean to be gracious? That means he really, really, really wants to be kind to people. Kindness is not an emotion. It's an action. When you do something for somebody they don't deserve. He says, I love being kind. And we should pray through this saying, Lord, I want to be kind to someone every day of my life. Bring me people that I could show your kindness to. And then the third trait, he's slow to anger. Which means he's very, very patient with broken people. And I'm glad he's patient. People talk about having a short fuse. Do you have a short fuse? No hands, please. Or do you have a long fuse? The Father has a very, very, very exceedingly 
long fuse. Lord, make me patient with people. Help me not to give you a deadline to fix things or fix people. Help me to let you work and not feel like I got to tell you how to do your business. The fourth one is he's abounding in loving kindness. Now, we don't use that word much. Your version may say steadfast love. Loving kindness is a tenderness of heart. It's action. You can actually take a pen and take that word and mark it in two. Kindness is something someone does for you that you don't deserve. And he loves to be kind. Every day he wants to show you some act of kindness. And the word abounding in the front. It's like a full glass of water or a full plate of food. It's full. And he loves to fully commit to you if you will fully give yourself to him. So he's not only abounding in love and kindness, he's abounding in truth. Now, you try to Google the definition of truth. It's not an easy thing, but it essentially means everything God speaks, every time God acts, it's correct. It means it's genuine. It is real. It is factual. You can take it to the bank. You can count on it all the time because he is always right. And his kingdom is based on truth. Let's contrast just for a second. You have the kingdom of God. He's telling you what he's like and how he acts. But the kingdom of darkness, ruled by the devil himself and his minions, is not based on any of those. It is not based on mercy It's about revenge and cruelty. It is not based on being gracious. It's based on abuse and control. It's not based on forgiveness. It's based on bitterness. It is not based on truth. It's based on lies. And there's not the promise of blessing for generations. It's the promise of shattered, broken lives. And then he says, who keeps loving kindness to thousands. Do you like that picture? Isn't that an awesome picture? How many generations? Five generations. And the, imp- the implication is not to just thousands of people, but thousands of generations to those that love me. See, he wants to be good, not just to you. He wants to be good to your daughter. And he wants to be good to your daughter's children. And he wants to be good to your daughter's grandchildren. And he wants to be good to your daughter's grandchildren's friends. Because that's how he is. Now, I want to make sure I communicate this. Just because your parents loved Jesus and your grandparents did doesn't mean necessarily you will 
Because every person has to decide for themselves. But you, mom and dad, if you walk with Jesus all your life, you're a single dad. If you walk with Jesus all your life, your children will have the maximum opportunity to know God and also walk with him if you do. Because there will be inherent blessings in that. And then it says, worship team, if you guys would come, please. He's the one that forgives, and he forgives three things. Do you know what iniquity is? The Hebrew word for iniquity is twisting the truth. Twisting the truth to do what you want to do. And that happens all the time in our culture. And it's what the, what Satan the serpent said to Eve. Did God really say that? Are you sure that's what he meant? And then trespass, trespass, transgressions means on this side of the line, this is righteous, this is holy, this is healthy, this is good. But on the other side of the line, when you transgress, you act it out. And you stepped into darkness. And the last one is sin. And sin, which is a category for all of our rebellion, just means you chose to disobey the Lord. Have you chosen to disobey the Lord? Let me see your little sweet hands. And we've all paid for it. Contrary to how a lot of people think about God, he's not some sleepy old guy sitting in a rocking chair that doesn't care how you live or how you talk. He's the Holy One of Israel. And he means what he says. And if you want to live in rebellion, he will come after you. Because he loves you. The hard part at the end, he says, he will not let the guilty go unpunished. Thank God for forgiveness. Because I have been guilty. But I've confessed my sins. But for people that do not, they keep transgressing you open doors for your children your grandchildren and your great grandchildren to have the same problems and I want you to pay attention to this last thing before we close you can break the cycle if your grandparents and your parents were exceedingly wicked You can start a new family line by deciding to renounce that and walk with Jesus. So your pastor would urge you. Keep the door to darkness closed. Don't walk in that door. Don't start small by lying. Always tell the truth. Don't steal anything over your entire lifetime. Be honest. Don't give yourself to alcohol. I got alcoholism on both sides of my family, and we have wickedness. 
and alcohol was at the root, I hate it, frankly. You do what you want to. Stay away from dope. It will do you in. It will ruin your life. Sexually stay pure. Save yourself for one man, one woman. Clean up your mouth. Stop cursing. When you, when you let foul things come out of your mouth, you are going through a door. It's easier to keep doing it, and you spread darkness to everybody that hears you. Stay away from gambling. It's a big deal in our state. It's not funny. It's addictive, and it destroys people's lives. And don't ever let your heart get bitter no matter how you are treated or mistreated. Because if you open that door, you get but what's behind the door. And you don't want that. Because what's behind the door is addiction. It's loss. You can never get back. It's regret. Of decades of wrong living, abuse, shattered lives, death. And people say, well, did God do this to me? Did God judge me because I made bad choices? No, honey, he didn't judge you. You opened the door. You walked through the door. You did that. And this verse last implies a couple of things. You and I never walked through a door of sin by ourselves. You think you were by yourself. But you can't sin and it only impact you. Your sin will impact hundreds of people because you always take people with you. And sometimes that door is never closed in a family until somebody says, Lord, I don't want to live this way anymore. Close the door. Run away from the door. Run through doors of righteousness. Stay out of darkness. You'll be so glad you did. And I want to close with this. Well, Steve, how do I break the cycle in my family? How to get out of this? How do I stop this? How do I make a new direction for my family? Here's what you do. Confess your sin. See, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, but you've been stubborn until you finally go, Lord, I need to declare I am a liar. Lord, I am a thief. And you admit it. You don't make excuses. You don't blame anybody else. And then you repent of your sin, which means you walk away from it. I was walking in darkness. Repent means I turn on my heels and I'm going to start living better. I'm going to walk with the Lord. And even when I mess up again, I'm going to quickly jump back up and repent one more time. And I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. And I'm going to learn to walk with him. And if you do these simple things, not easy, but simple, you will create a new generation of people around you where thousands will be blessed. I want to close in prayer. These next moments are very important because we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to move in this room.
to deal with us. If you need to repent of your sin, you need to get right with God, you need to give Jesus your heart, I want you to do it today. Pray with me right now and say, Jesus, forgive me of every sin. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of losing. I'm tired, Lord, of walking in darkness. I renounce my sin today. Forgive me, Lord. Jesus, be my Lord and Savior today. And I commit to walk with you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Now the altar is open. I'm going to ask the intercessors, the altar team to come. You're welcome to pray. You're welcome to take the Lord's table. You're welcome to just kneel here and talk to the Lord in these last songs. This song that we're going to do is um, actually a really, really old song, and um, it's called Show Me Your Face, Lord, and that is my prayer for myself, and um, and I bet it is your prayer as well, just that we would be able to know the Lord like a friend, to be able to know him closer and that as a church that he would continue to show his face to us. Um, I was praying for someone last Sunday and they, they came up and said that as soon as they walked in the doors that they immediately felt the presence of God. And I want that to be even more the case here um, at our church, but also the case in our prayer chair at home in our quiet space. So if you know this sing along, feel free to come get prayer, feel free to come kneel at the altar, Um, and we're just going to sing out these next couple of songs together. Moses stood on the mountain, waiting for you to pass by. your hand over his face so in your presence he wouldn't die
studied this week and felt led to share was yada, which is when we stretch our hands. It's like tada, when we say thank you to God. But this is actually when we um, raise our hands and surrender as a toddler would to their parent. Like, I completely trust you, God, with my life, with everything. And I feel like that's the reason that Moses was able to know God as, as closely as he did was because he was completely and totally surrendered. So this is just an opportunity, if there's anything you feel like you're withholding from the Lord, for you to just stretch your hands to the Lord and release that to him. And all to Jesus I
teach us to walk with you, to love you more every day, to trust you, and I thank you that you're merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and Lord, you get up as you watch us get up, and you're thinking, I want to be kind and show my heart of love. Change us from the inside out, in Jesus' name, amen. The worship team's going to keep leading. Thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you were encouraged to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, would you please reach out to us? We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There's also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope to see you again next week. God bless.